This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Happy Father's Day. It's an honor to be with you this morning uh, and to enter this text. It's an honor to celebrate with Dad's group here. This is my little stage prop for the day. Um, I love that idea. And listen, just so you know, uh, we're not in like any marketing agreement with Dad's root beer. So if you happen to get a photo op with the, with the, uh, the bottle of root beer, um, you know, with, it's not a, a marketing ploy from us. We just thought it was a funny way to celebrate uh, and draw attention to, to what dads are in our midst, as Hayden was saying. Uh, I just want to start off by saying I know that today might not be an easy day for everybody. Your, your picture uh, of a dad could be a difficult one. Uh, it, could, it could be a lot of hardship. I also want to say that um, there are people today that maybe are experiencing the first or an early Father's Day without their earthly father, or could experience it as a father that even as, as himself, as a dad that might have endured loss. And so we talk, always talk about that with Mother's Day. We want to talk about that with Father's Day too. But we do hope that through our sitting under this text today, that we're able to, to see God as the perfected version, the perfected version of what our Father is and what He invites all of us into. There's going to be parts of today that are targeted to dads. I'm not going to hold back on that. I've got a little buzz going on. Can we get that out? Um, There'll be parts that are targeted to dads. There'll be parts that are targeted to men specifically, but also there's parts of today that are targeted to everyone, to all of us, um, that, that posture ourselves to be a follower of Jesus. And so um, let's read Psalm, we just sang it, but let's read Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3 together this morning. Let's stand in honor of the Lord and his word to read this together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you so much for the truth of this word to us today. We thank you for... Um, being these things that, that are declared in the scriptures, that uh, you are our salvation, you are our light, you are our stronghold, our refuge, our strength, you are the one that gives us confidence. You are the one that, that teaches and trains our hearts not to fear. Um, so Lord, just let us, let us learn a lesson today in what it means to fixing our eyes on you, to have a, a strategy to our, faith, to our faithful living. Um, as, as anybody's, as dads, as husbands, as men, um, and Lord, just teach us and train us in, in your word today. Um, we just ask that you preach a, a more profound second sermon today that gives all of us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I want to draw our attention to something out of the gate, and I've been doing this more and more. I, I've been guilty before of, of recognizing that many of the New Testament writings or many of the New Testament letters are written to like the church holistically. Like if you were to read the first sentence in Ephesians or the first sentence in Philippians or the first sentence in Galatians, it will say to the saints or to the holy ones or to the chosen ones. And it's kind of written to a community of people. And while that's important to recognize that the Bible is written to a community of people, it also has promises to the individual. And while it would be true for me to stand up here and say, as declared in scripture, 
tons of other places. The Lord is light, and the Lord is salvation, and the Lord is a fortress. It is contextually inappropriate for me not to point out that there's a pronoun missing in this text. The Lord is the light, absolutely, but he's also my light and yours. He's also my salvation and your salvation. He's also my stronghold, a refuge, a fortress that we put our trust into. And so I want to recognize that while, while David is certainly the psalmist, the author, the, the, the singer uh, of these truths, this is not just a historical testimony from King David, but a present invitation for the Lord to be this for you and to be this for me. And so let's look. The Lord is my light. David writes elsewhere in Psalm 139, he says, and he, he's asking the question, where shall I go from your spirit that your spirit won't accompany me? And he says, even in the, even the darkness in Psalm 139, 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for the darkness is a light with you. Like David understands this concept that the Lord is his light and, and light, it, it, it resonates with being a source of hope. In Psalm 119, 105, it says that your word or, or, or what we know ultimately to be Jesus eventually is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That, that the light we see in Jesus for us personally, the light we see in the Lord for us personally is a companion to our journey. I remember traveling as a kid, um, we would go to, we would do like the, you know, the, the yearly family uh, vacation to Florida or something like that. And, and I remember there was an era, so there's an era in, in family life that you don't try to do two days anymore in a long travel, that you're like, we can do this in one day. We can do this in one car ride. And sometimes it's even befitting if you do it through the middle of the night, right? Because the kids can go to sleep and and, you know, mom and dad are like drinking 14 Red Bulls and staying up through the night and, you know, plowing on through to, to get to the destination. And I remember I would wake up and this was an era before technology and before uh, things to, to, you know, distract my boredom. I would wake up and I would wonder where we are. And I could always tell when we were approaching a major city because the sky would turn orange, right? Like, as you would approach a major city, it would turn orange. There was a, and there was a, some excitement of like, I'm going to get to see billboards. You know, like I'm going to get to hopefully see Disney billboards or Busch Gardens billboards or whatever amusement park we, I was going to try to lobby that our family go to, mostly unsuccessfully. But whatever one I was going to try to persuade my family to go to, I was going to get to start seeing these ads. And, and there was like a hope that came with the light of a city. We see that here. David writes, God, you're my light. You're a presence of hope for me that the darkness doesn't overwhelm, the darkness doesn't overcome, that there is a hope. And on that subject of hope, he, he goes right to the Lord is my salvation. He's my salvation. In Psalm 42, he writes, David writes elsewhere in the Psalms, why are you cast down? He actually says this twice in this Psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. David recognizes that God had been a source of rescue from earthly foes, but he also was a source of rescue for him eternally and someone that restored him in grace. If you know anything about the story of David, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit more in, in a minute, he has tons of stories of being rescued from earthly peril and rescued from earthly um, disaster, uh, but also restored in a spiritual sense too, of places that he had wandered and sinned and, and misstepped and transgressed. Uh, yesterday, I got to be a part of, uh, there's a program through the Lexington Leadership Foundation called the Fatherhood Initiative, and uh, it is a program committed to training out men in our city 
um, and to, to what it means to really walk as a disciple of Jesus into intentional fatherhood. Um, and so it was, a, it was a big function that was at a First African Baptist Church yesterday on Price Road. And then, I'm not sure what is going on, but it's maybe like a popcorn machine, you know, in the back of the movies. Just, I can go with the handheld if that's easier. Sorry for the distraction. So I got to, whoa, so I got to speak at uh, this, this event yesterday and um, was lucky that I got to actually go up first before uh, this, the pastor that followed me, a guy named Mario Radford, uh, because he brought the house down and I was like, man, I'm really glad I didn't have to follow that. Um, but Mario encouraged these men, these dads. He, he used uh, Galatians chapter six, verse one. He said, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And uh, one of the things he said is, is, he said, let me translate that phrase for you, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual is maybe a synonym that's better understood as you who have been restored. If you're spiritual, if you're walking in the things of the Spirit, then you recognize restoration and grace and, rest, and, and rescue. You, you recognize these things. And if you are familiar with restoration and grace and rescue, then you should be someone that offers that to other people, to other brothers. So I say this concerning David. David is a man familiar with rescue, restoration, and the grace of God, and, and he is no stranger to it. And so he's able to say with confidence, the Lord is my light, he's also my salvation. He's the one that saves me and the one that rescues me. The Lord is my stronghold. David, six other times in the Psalms, uses this word for stronghold, and, and sometimes it shows up a, a, as a translation of ref, refuge or fortress or, or place of safety and protection. David has experienced this from his boyhood battle uh, against Goliath or his days on the, on the, in the fields or in the pastures as a shepherd. He's also experienced it when he's been on the run from King Saul and even ultimately his son Absalom. Like he's experienced being saved and sustained and rescued and finding a, a, a place of safety and protection in the refuge and fortress and might and strength of the Lord. And then he asked these questions at the end of both of these. So the Lord is my light and my salvation, and the Lord is my stronghold. Then he asked these questions. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, you might think that there's a literary device here that leaves this to be rhetorical questions. That what we really want to say is, the Lord is my life and my sal or the Lord is my light and my salvation. I am never afraid. But that would be a lie, wouldn't it? And it would even be not true about David. There are Multiple psalms, multiple expressions that talk about his fear, that talk about his worry, that talk about his concern. And so while it should be said of us, the Lord is my salvation, of whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? While that's the invitation for us to understand our relationship with God, I offer us today that if, this, that if we might consider this question not as rhetorical for the point of declaration of God's power and might and hope, but as sincere so that we might contrast the promise of the Lord, the invitation of the Lord, with actually what we do face and what we do fear. Now, this is a tricky question. If I were to ask you today, what do you feel like, what do you feel like you're afraid of? Or even if I were to make a list and say, today, are you afraid of this and this and this? All of us in here, all of us, have a tendency to have some response bias to this. You know, our optimism meter gets cranked up in moments where we feel like we're supposed to answer a certain way. And, and I just want to be really transparent with you 
about a moment that, that I faced this. You know, I could put that list on the screen and you might say, well, I'm not fearful of that today. It's Sunday. I'm putting my hope in the Lord. But if we're really honest and really comprehensive in the things that we face and the anxieties that we have and the fears that, that are produced in us, I think we need to zoom out. Now, let me give you a, so, some background to where I learned a valuable lesson in this the Lord used in a magnificent way in my life. Um, this August and the mid-August, we will be celebrating our sixth year here at the BCM. And that is an incredible testimony to like God's faithfulness, to God's commitment to build a family here. And I can look back at so many ways that God's been a faithful part of my journey, your journey, our journey, Com City's journey, all those things together. But six years ago in August was a different season for me. While I was excited about the anticipation of what the Lord was birthing here to gather on campus and to declare his goodness. And, and that would include many of you, some of whom I didn't know even six years ago. Uh, while I was excited about the anticipation of that and, and fired up that the Lord was birthing that in me, I was also coming out of a season of a lot of loss and a lot of grief. Um, six years ago, August, so August 2017, we launched Com City BCM edition here, but seven years ago, October of 2016, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of lymphoma, 30, 30 years old. My sister was 26. In August of 2017, just a year later, um, my sister became a 27-year-old widow, and my best friend uh, went on to be with Jesus. And that happened literally the week before we had our first gathering here in this space. Um, that whole season was obviously difficult, um, but I found myself in the midst of a family grieving that was my literal biological family and a family grieving that was the faith family that I had been a part of. And I saw myself as the guy that needs to manage everyone else's grief, the guy that needs to manage everyone else's doubts, needs to manage everyone else's um, experience with this, because for, for even our small faith family, which was actually birthed in the living room of Tom and Lara, my brother-in-law and my sister, um, it was maybe the closest tragic loss of life at an early age that many of our small little faith community had experienced. For my family, it certainly was, was a tough season and a tough run. And, and I found myself managing my parents' grief and my sister's grief and, and Tom's brother's grief, his biological brother and his parents' grief and then the grief in our community. And all these things just kind of weighed on me, but I never really allowed myself to really experience the loss in a way that allowed my heart to grieve and allowed my heart to heal. And in 2018, the spring of 2018, if you know anything about carrying that kind of burden, you know it can be pretty daunting and pretty, um, pretty oppressive in a lot of ways. And in spring of 2018, to the news of no one, I tried to keep it as hidden as possible. Um, I put on the hats that were required for me to wear. I put on the face that was expected of me. I met all the calendar invites and the scheduling um, demands. But if you truly caught my life in a, in a season of transparency, you would have seen that I was probably out of my bed um, within a week's time and minutes as opposed to hours. Um, that I was battling a season of pretty intense depression um, of not really, and, and not knowing where these feelings of lethargy and these feelings of, of apathy and these feelings of lifelessness were coming from. And I remember I, at the end of that summer, so maybe starting in about April, towards the end of that summer, I had to go to get a yearly uh, doctor's visit for some medication that I take. And I have to do like, you know, your checkup and your blood work and all this stuff. I remember sitting in the doctor's office and they uh, drew blood from my arm and it kind of looked like a red slushy filling up the little vial. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good news. <laughs> you know, like, 
this is not going to be very good. You've let your diet go. You've let your, your activity go. You know, all these things have contributed to this. And I remember sitting with my doctor, and that's my, in my hometown, a family doctor that I've known for a long time, knows my family. I know their family. And uh, if you know anything about the medical profession now, if you've been to the doctor recently at all, a lot of times when you're doing your registration, they'll ask you or prompt you with mental health questions, mental and emotional health questions at the onset. But as I answered them, here's what I get to. As I answered them, I felt pretty optimistic that day. So I wasn't honest. I mean, I was honest in how I felt, but I wasn't honest in really confessing my patterns, really confessing my my habits really confessing you know the last few months of my life and uh, to the surprise of no one my blood work told on me right like it told on me it, uh, my blood pressure told on me you know these things told on me the scales told on me and I sat down with my doctor and she said Andrew what if we ask these questions not just in the last day or week for you to consider how you feel but what if we asked them for the last six or nine months would you answer them any differently and I was like, well, doc, let's give it a shot. And so she started going through the questions. And I started to consider the last six months, patterns in my life, habits in my life. And I started to answer them a little more honestly. We got about halfway through, and she was like, right now, right now, I already have enough that, like, everything on my little side of the iPad is popping up with the medications I should prescribe you right now. We're not even halfway through the assessment. Do you want to keep going, or should we talk about some things? And I just, you know, kind of caught, right? Kind of caught in that moment. And I was like, okay, let's talk about some things. And she said, Andrew, I'm a doctor. I've been to years of medical school. I've read all the research. I've had all the trainings and the practices. But there's actually laws in the United States that prohibit me from treating myself or caring for myself or diagnosing things in myself. I can know what's going on, but I have to actually submit my life to another professional to tell me the things that I already know the answers to. You can kind of see where this is going. And she said, you're a pastor. You're a shepherd. You've cared for people the, the, the large majority of your adult life. But my question is, instead of just caring for other people and trying to self-care or self-treat or self-diagnose, have you ever submitted yourself to the care of someone else for them to speak truth to you instead of you kind of talk yourself into it in a voice of optimism or for you to open up with. And she said, and it's, it's embarrassing. She said, when I go to my doctor and my doctor tells me, hey, you, you need to lose a little weight. You need to watch your diet. You need to up your activity. You need to do this and this. She said, it's embarrassing because I know that answer already. But if I'm going to live as healthy as possible, I have to recognize that, the, that there are people in our life that speak wisdom and encouragement and people that speak life to us um, where we sometimes don't see life ourselves. So, so my, my point in all this is, my point in all this is, if I were to ask you today, what are you afraid of? It's really easy for you to say, oh, nothing. It's Sunday. It's Father's Day. My optimism meter is cranked. But if I were to say, take inventory of the last six months of your life, where has fear manifested in you? Where has anxiety shown up? Where has worry Shown up, and, and even this, one of the, and I'm not going to give you like an assessment today on how to identify the fears you face or any of those things. You can find plenty of those available online, but I just want to remind you of this. Fear often shows up with a sense of urgency. I have to take care of this right now. Finances, I got to fix it right now. Relationship, I got to fix it right now. And, and, and the moments that we can or we feel like that we're blocked from that or there's a, too many hurdles to overcome for us to get to our destination we're met with panic. If those things have shown up in your life at all, 
then your optimism might be lying to you. And there actually might be some things that you do fear. That while the statement is still true that Lord is your light and is your salvation and is your stronghold, what do you fear? Some things. Some things. What do we fear? What causes anxiety in us or worry in us and makes us feel overwhelmed and scared? Is it, and there'll be some on the screen, is it a sense of failing? Is it a sense that failure might define you? Have you dealt with that in the last six months or, or being incompetent that you won't be able to provide? You can even kind of put those together. Like, I, I'm afraid that if I fail, I won't be able to provide and, and people will see me as a failure or see, see me as being incompetent, that, that you're not needed or you're not useful. What about being weak or perceived as weak? It hinders vulnerability in your life. If you want to know what something the enemy will use to hinder vulnerability and transparency in your life, it is that, that you might be perceived as, as, as a weak person if you're honest. It, a, a person that's got a fear of weakness will also have a fear of confession and subsequently a fear of repentance. If we're weak, can we really lead? If I'm a dad, to dads, if you're weak, can you really lead your family? Can you really lead your wife? Can you really protect? Can you really fix? Can you really, you know, guard? Can you really do these things? Or what about being irrelevant? That our lives wouldn't have meaning. Our lives wouldn't have joy. That we might, um, we might, you know, take a, put ourselves in a financial situation where then all we have to, all we do is work. And so our lives don't mean the same thing they used to. Or, or that we traded in our adventure for apathy. Or that we've settled. What about feeling foolish? That we don't want to be wrong. Or we don't want to be seen as uninformed. What about feeling rejected? We have a fear of that. That we wouldn't want to be wanted, or specifically talking to guys and dads. Um, God gives a man, I think, a desire of pursuit. And one of the fears that we have to wrestle with is, does the thing we pursue want us back? Does the opportunity we pursue want us back? Does the person we pursue, whether it's a spouse or our children, do they want us back? That can be a fear, an uncertainty, and change can can be something we're fearful of, that we fear uh, something that we're uncertain about or, or something that is changing that's outside of our control. We fear lacking control. Or even this last one, it's not on the screen, but I added it this morning in the notes. We fear punishment. We've made a mess of it. We've broken it. You know, if you've ever had a kid come to tell you about the thing in your house that they've broken <laughs> or they've messed up or they've stained, and surely none of us have experienced that, right? Um, a lot of times they'll come with a, with a, even a spirit or a posture of being afraid because they've done something they weren't supposed to do. They've made a mess of something that you expected them to keep clean and keep tidy and keep neat, that something that was supposed to be cherished or treated with, with a lot of value, they've actually made a mistake and broken, and they can walk in a fear of punishment. But listen, husbands, dad, men and women, brothers, sisters, we do the same thing before the Lord. That we might walk with a sense of fear that like, yeah, I know his grace is supposed to, but it might not compensate for this. In Psalm 56, David writes another place in the Psalms, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice that it didn't say if I am afraid, but when I am afraid. That we are people that are not superhuman, um, we're not perfect, we're not invincible, that we are people that have fear. We have fear of loss, we have fear of rejection, we have fear for, we have all these things. And so the question is, what do you actually fear? And not just today. Don't try to answer that today on Father's Day. But what do you actually fear if you looked in the last six months? What can you put your finger on? Notice that if we go on in Psalm 27, um, the author, David, 
Talks about some things he, had, he, he could fear. He does fear. Evildoers, adversaries, foes, army, an army encamped, those at war, those that will attack him. Now, dads, you're going to like this next line. Dads, you're supposed to be able to see the future. Come on. Yeah. Uh, it's a little blacked out, but that's Marty and Doc from Back to the Future, one of my favorite movies. Uh, for all of you that think The Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy, you're forgetting Back to the Future. Okay, just, just going to throw that out there. Um, we're supposed to see the future as husbands and dads and men. I think that is something that the Lord puts on us. Like even when my, my wife and I have a disagreement about something, it's usually because she is seeing the present and I am seeing the future. The implications of this behavior mean that on this day and this season, yada, yada, yada. If they can't, if the, I would, they're, not, they're not here at this service. If they can't do this chore, then they'll never drive a car. You know, and it's like, I live in this, in this future implication of things, and we're supposed to do that. And it's not just limited to men. We're all supposed to see the future. There's evidence of this in Scripture. There's evidence of this in the way God uses the prophets. If you keep going this way, this is where you'll end up. There's evidence of this as Paul writes to encourage churches and believers in, uh, of the church, in the church of Jesus in the first century. If you keep walking this way... These are going to be, this is going to be the destination that you arrive, and arrive at. You're supposed to walk in a way worthy of the, of the calling that you've received. So, so this is something that's, that's a, a biblical expectation that we are not just people that see the present, but people that see this future, which means, which means you're supposed to notice the evildoers out in front of you. You're supposed to notice the adversaries out in front of you. You're supposed to notice the army encamped around you. And whether that's, uh, uh, you know, actual, like, earthly scenarios or just an awareness of even the schemes of the enemy, both of which we're supposed to have an awareness of and supposed to have a kind of a, a formula to understand and a formula to see and navigate the world. Um, I, I think of this, I think of this as my girls get older. And again, I live in a future moment. I already perceive the boys that will want to hang out with them. And as a protector, as someone that sees the future and sees it through the lens of my past, right, as a, as a boy that was in high school at one point or in college, I'm like, okay, as my girls get older, then God is calling me to be a sniper, <laughs> right? Like, this is what he's asking of me to do. And, and, and in all seriousness, like, I see my girls as like a, you know, a, a, like, a, like, a young, like a young animal or a young deer, you know, going through the forest, and, and it's like there are lions out there. And if I can get the right perch or the right tree or the right rock face, like I, can, I can bear down on those lions, right? But, but do you know what the better strategy for me as a dad is? It's not to go out and be a lion hunter. It's to trust the God that shuts the mouth of lions. That's the better posture. And so what if my strategy as a father or as a man was less about what I'm able to accomplish and more about a strategy of faith and faithfulness. The enemy tries to convince you that it's up to you to protect your family, to care for your family, to provide for your family, that it's up to you to manage your life if you're not a dad in the room, to manage your life, to care for your life, to provide for your life. That when it comes to our families, when it comes to our lives, it is our job to see the pitfalls and the evildoers and the scenarios that could, that could bring a, a, a lot of hardship to us. God made us that way. But he didn't make us that way that we might fear or that we might take the battle or the matters into our own hands. Leading our family isn't about skill, dads. It's about faith. You don't need a greater skill set to be a dad. 
you need a greater faith set to be a dad. And, dad, and God will never, ever waste your steps of faith in him, ever. And that's not just for the dads in the room or the men in the room or the future dads in the room. That's for all of us. We look at, at this, that we look at the my in this psalm again, that God doesn't want to just generally be his people's salvation. He wants to be yours. He doesn't just generally want to be his people's light. He wants to be yours. And he wants you to see that there's a different way to navigate the adversaries in your path than to fight them or to strategize around them or to skillfully avoid them. He wants you to see that you can actually accomplish more by trusting the God who accomplished all. When we see something coming, unsavory, something coming that brings anxiety or concern or worry or fear to us, where do we turn? Where do we manage? How do we navigate it? Do we do it by resting in the Lord or by trusting our own skill set, our own reason, our own logic? One of the interesting things, and this is a sermon for another day, but one of the interesting things I've seen recently in Scripture is the amount of times that Jesus heals people on the Sabbath day. You ever notice that? Now, most of the time, it becomes Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath day and then immediately gets into an argument with the Pharisees on whether or not he's allowed to do that. Like, and that's usually where the conversation goes. That's usually kind of, if you're looking at a lens through the text, it's kind of where the lens goes. But what if you considered yourself the person that was healed on the Sabbath? Likely a background of Judaism, someone that had not been able to practice the Sabbath for a long time because of their uncleanliness or because of their inability to even get to the temple or, or to experience God in the way that, that, that being a, a, an Israelite invited them to. And for the first time, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Oh, by the way, it's the Sabbath, which means you're commanded actually to rest. What if we as men, husbands, dads, people saw our healing in Jesus as not an invitation to go do more, but an invitation that our first steps are to rest in him. Our first steps are to rest in him. When you see trouble, who does your family see you run to? When you see adversaries, what strategy do they see in your life? Do they see you run to pray or do they see you run to fix and problem solve? Do they see you run to faith or do they see you run to your skill set? or your ability, or outside wisdom. How would the Lord speak this psalm to us? If he was talking to me, I, Andrew, want to be your salvation. Who else you got to fear? I, Andrew, want to be your light. Who's going to make you afraid? Because we believe, and we confess, that, that those of us that seek the Lord as our light, and as our salvation, and as our stronghold, no matter what lives surrounding us, no matter what army is encamped in front of us, that we would have overwhelming confidence, as verse 3 would say, overwhelming confidence in the Father. If God wasn't out of control the day that Jesus went to the cross, he's not out of control with whatever you're facing that might bring fear to your life or anxiety to your life as well. And what if your strategy in handling the fears we face was to run to him and to his table, our good Father? You know, our job as a parent many times is to soothe fears. Sometimes they're irrational fears. They might, be, they might show up from a, a movie that you didn't think was going to cause fear. They might show up from a conversation uh, kids hear from other, from other people or from other adults. They might just show up from, from our own imagination. Um, our job as parents oftentimes is to soothe fears and to replace that fear with the truth and what we can trust 
um, a truth in what we can what we can know, what we can see, what we can what we can go to, who we put our trust in. Our job as parents is to take frightened hearts and make them faithful hearts. That's what our job is. But what if that was how we treated the things that frighten us as well? That we ran to our dad's table and said, Dad, I got fear. I got fear in this area. I'm a frightened, I got a frightened heart. And let the Lord, in his perfect fatherly approach to us, replace that which frightens us, which that which actually stirs our faith and stirs our affections for the things of the earth, for the things of here. We get to go to our heavenly father, who never takes a second off, doesn't slumber or sleep, and who always gives us his absolute best. And so dads today, as we kind of come to a conclusion, um, I hope that as, as fathers, as men, as husbands, and I hope to everyone in here, not just dads, everyone in here, that we don't walk away feeling like we got to get better at our skill set or better at our strategy, but that we need to be people that get better at what it means to, in faith, run to the God that heals, restores, forgives, is the light for us, is the companion for us, the hope for us, that promises hope and a future in him. And so we're going to go to a time of communion today. And in honor of Father's Day, I've asked a dad to come lead us into a family communion. And so, Eli, if you will come lead us in communion this morning. Happy Father's Day. Um, just want to take a minute uh, as we move into a time of communion to um, reflect a little bit on um, what does it mean to be a father. And I've been really enjoying our time in the Psalms uh, this summer. I always like that time. And last week we were um, going through Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103 it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As I think about that, to be a father is to reflect God's compassion and his patience and his provision and his love, not just to our families, but also to the whole world. That when we think about fathers and we think about how they treat their children, that that is a display of God's goodness. And that psalm goes on to say that, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And as a Christian father, that my greatest desire is righteousness for my children, that they would have a right standing before God in them. That, and all my pursuits are, are for that. But it says that that righteousness to children's children is to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And that is no good because I do not keep his covenant and I do not remember to do his commandments all the time. And my compassion and my patience and my love are not perfect. And so how, how can I be, how can I look to that promise and think about how, how are my children going to stand 
before God in righteousness. Fatherhood is one of the most sanctifying forces in a man's life because there is nothing like fatherhood that gives you a higher calling and nothing like fatherhood that shows your inability to fulfill that calling. I see that all the time in my own life, how when that I, I want to do what's right, but I, I fall down. And, but I love that there was one who one day came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist and said, I need to be baptized by, or, and then John said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling for us to fulfill all righteousness. That Jesus came to fulfill that righteousness for us, that he lived the perfect life and displayed perfect obedience and went to the cross and died for all of our failures and rose again to give us his righteousness. And so Romans 5:19 says, "For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." It's good to remember that there was one who kept the covenant and always remembered to do his commandments so that we could be the fathers that we're called to be. So I want to invite you all to come to the table where we remember the fountain of all of our righteousness and where all of our failures are atoned for. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for being the perfect father and supplying everything that we need. Lord, for showing us your compassion for your righteousness being from two children's children. Lord, I, I pray for all the dads in here that you would encourage them and strengthen them to find their, the, the filling of all their lack in the cross and that they would be encouraged to, to, to fulfill the calling of being a father. In Jesus' name, amen.